This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hear more from Free FM. For a small monthly fee, you can become a patron and support independent community media. Go to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out how. Kia ora everyone, you're listening to The Locals on Free FM 89.0. My name is Dan Armstrong. The Locals focuses on the Waipa district of the South Waikato, North King Country, and the wider area as a way to bring local information and issues to you. Right now, communicating what's happening is so important, so I've brought back The Locals during this lockdown to help share what's happening so you can be as prepared and supported as possible. So let's crack into it. This is The Locals, and this is Season 3, the quarantine episode. We start with the Māori Women's Welfare League. They've been supporting people in Kehikehe and the wider area now for years. And I had a chat with local president Melody Hammond about what support they're available to provide right now. At this time... We're, we're closed to all activities, which means the activities usually run from Te Whiringa, which is our office on Lion Street, um, has all been postponed until the alert levels drop. So we have, um, we have a few members available to be contacted, and I have a couple of numbers if people still wish to contact us. Mainly it would be phone support, however, if we do have whānau isolated or anyone that we know of that is isolated or you know someone that may be isolated, is to give uh, these two numbers a call and we can call them, um, follow that up with the with the whānau. And it's better to um, be sure than just assume that everyone is covered. Have you had much response so far? I saw you put um, the post out on the League Facebook page the other day. No, which tells me that I think Te Awamitu are very community orientated and that we have a few community organisations that I know are in place, like uh, the council is checking on those in their pensioners' flats. Um, Kainga Aroha has uh, sent out a call for anyone that needs support. The CAB and Age Concern are also on the ground, um, seeing who needs um, any kind of support, plus the uh, Facebook online support groups have been reaching out to Farno. So I feel that um, even though it appears that we have great support out there, what we're saying at um, the league is that we're trying to catch those ones that may be isolated and don't have any whānau that are that they're um, locked down with. And uh, if someone is really struggling, um, what support can you provide? What we can support, um, provide because it'll be an essential service, and because we are still all required to uh, go out one time, one person at a time that we can essentially pick up those medication that they may need or the groceries that they may need um, and drop them off at the door at, yeah, at the door of the person's home. 
So leaving us a message of your name and number or the person you feel is isolated, their name and number. What are your chief concerns in the coming weeks? I think my chief concerns is to listen to what our um, government is saying to us and the health experts. Follow their, um, their advice very closely about social distancing, about hygiene practices, about keeping in touch with your extended whanau through phone calls or emails, and keeping the morale balance, if you if, if we call it morale balance, throughout the next coming months. So my um so our biggest concern would be again catching those ones that are isolated, that have no whānau, that are locked down by themselves. And are you uh, confident that uh, particularly elderly people locally have enough support for them um, because it's our komatoa um, that are you know most vulnerable to this. I am hopeful. I'm hopeful that we're reaching out and and getting all our komatoa and older people um, seen to and supported. Again, uh, when you're out and about uh, walking or doing your daily exercise, that social distancing, but also still checking on them, even though it feels like you're going to be yelling at the whānau, is that, you know, is your, is the older generation in your whānau sorted? Do you know anyone that's asking those important questions? And also checking on your neighbours, I think, is important. Well, if you had a final message, um, what would you like to say? Um, kia ora koutou, like our government has said, be kind. Uh, be kind, and again, it is better to be sure that everyone's covered than assume that they are okay. Um, our secretary, Rosemary Murray, has offered her phone number if anyone needs to contact um, our ropu, and her number is 0211303880. That's 0211303880. And my contact number as the president-elect is 021-215-3942. Thanks, Melody. It's brilliant to see the league continue its good work in these trying times. As stated, Melody's number is 021-215-3942, and they post updates on the Te Ao Motu Māori Women's Welfare League Facebook page. Turning to education, around the country teachers are having to rapidly adapt to delivering online services. For those reasons I had a chat with PPTA Field Officer Georgie Danzi about what educators are experiencing. There's been two main issues for teachers um, through this. The first one and probably the most significant is moving to online learning. Um, so because this has never happened before uh, and schools haven't been prepared for online learning, they've had to do it all very quickly. And during that time, students have already have been at school. Um, and as we all know, teachers are already overworked. So on top of that, they've had to plan for what online learning might look like for their students. Um, 
And I think that's been the biggest struggle for schools because even the leaders of the schools are working through this from a point of not really seeing where it's going to end up. The second one, the second point which I think is challenging, which would be, as I know, is across the board, is for teachers' pay and what that might look like during the lockdown, particularly for our fixed-term teachers who are on short-term contracts and our relief teachers, our day relief teachers, who aren't employed with any particular school for longer than a day. Can you give us an idea of why that's an issue when everyone's meant to be able to access money right now? Right, sure. Yeah, and I don't, I mean, I know that other workforces and other workplaces are more significantly um, affected, and I wanted to acknowledge that because teachers are in a really good position um, as far as ongoing pay. All teachers will continue to be paid because they will be working from home. Um, the concern is with our day relievers who um, get employed by a school for a day, and at the end of the day, they, um, that's the end of the employment and they might go to the same school the next day or a different school, but there's no guarantee of continued employment. But what actually the ministry has done is they have decided to continue to pay relief teachers based on what they had been working. So if they'd been working four, four days a week for the last three weeks, they'll continue to be paid um, for four days a week during the lockdown. So, um, which is excellent because it means that these workers won't lose their income over this time. Rural communities are less likely to have uh, internet access. Um, do you have any concerns about those rural schools being able to properly roll out digital learning? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And there's a huge reliance on um, the students at home having access to the appropriate resources. So I don't, I know from my experience in rural schools that the schools are usually pretty well equipped to deal with that because they're already doing a lot online. But the issue I think is with, um, and this isn't in particular with rural schools, actually it's more low decile schools and students who just don't have the resources at home to continue their learning. Has there been enough resources going into them so then effectively in the course of you know, three, four weeks that teachers can produce education to go out to students? Well, the short answer is no, there hasn't been. I know that um, the support from the Ministry of Education has been good, but it hasn't been able to provide schools with the resources and particularly time they need to do the job. Uh, part of the reason that the school holidays were moved forward um, was so that teachers had time to get that together in the holidays without having the expectation to carry on teaching. So what we're hoping for is that over the term break for the next two weeks, that's when schools can really put things together to be ready to come back and start online learning in term two. The events that are happening right now haven't come out of nowhere and they're not going to suddenly disappear in about three and a half weeks' time. What does the rest of the year look like for teachers and education staff? Oh, yeah, I mean, and that's a huge <laughs> a huge question that I don't know the answer to. And to be honest, I don't think even the schools, <laughs> the senior leadership teams in schools know the answer to that. From a secondary school perspective, um, 
I think the challenge is going to be continuing with NCEA. So as far as how do we administer assessments, how do we mark assessments and do moderation and leading up to the end of the year when we um, are going through exams, I <laughs> hope that this has been resolved by then, but these will be the long-term questions that secondary teachers and schools will be looking at as far as ensuring the students can still reach their um, required qualification and pass their assessments. Do you think we need additional support for teachers, possibly around mental health, because effectively teachers are having to redo a whole heap of the work they're doing, and then they're not responsible purely for themselves. They've got to deal with you know, dozens of kids and everything that comes with it. They must they must be under a lot of strain and anxiety because they don't know what happens next and they're at the grunt of it. Absolutely, and I think the um, community pressure will increase over time. Um, and as far as parents, after a few weeks, will say, hold on, my what are my kids learning and what are we doing next? And that pressure will come back to teachers. Um, which, I mean, it's fair enough questions for the parents to ask, but what schools really need to consider is what requirements teachers have at home. So a lot of teachers, a lot of people have um, young children that they need to care for at home as well as caring for elderly um, during this time. And so their ability to work is restricted, um, and I think that schools need to really consider that and what requirements teachers have. Is there a piece of advice? you'd want to give to any teachers listening to this right now, whether they're in your region or anywhere else? Don't panic. I think that from my understanding of the Ministry of Education and the Teaching Council, um, there is a huge amount of understanding for teachers and what they're going through. There is not a huge amount of pressure, particularly from a Teaching Council perspective, to do things immediately, and they are giving some... Uh, lenience and time for people to process and get on with it. So as far as moving forward, I would say do what you can, um, but I think there is a huge understanding. And if employers, every employer that I've spoken to regarding this in regards to teaching has been completely understanding um, and not put any, put any pressure on their staff, but if they are, <laughs> then that is an issue and that's when we get into questions of health and safety and well-being your uh, field officer with the PPTA. Um, even though you're not able to be out in the field, uh, how can uh, teachers and education staff still get support from the PPTA? Yeah, absolutely. So they just, we are all working from home um, and we have a duty field officer person in place so the teachers can ring or email at any time and have someone to speak to. Cheers, Georgie. It's good to know that teachers are being supported, but hopefully we can get more resources going their way. Both the PPTA and NZDI provide resources and information on their website. Families are adjusting to home learning over the next month, and for some tips and advice, I spoke to Carla McNeil, Director of Learning Matters. How has the transition been for schools, students and families? To answer your question, I'm going to take a couple of steps back. So on Saturday... Where I watched um, the Prime Minister's media release in the middle of the day on Saturday. And at that point in time when she indicated the various level or the level structure, 
we started pretty quickly provisioning for what we anticipated would be a, a, a big change for our families and their students. Um, and we put steps in place to move our entire learning support system um, online. And then obviously that happened really quickly with the announcement on um, Monday to actually going to level four. So what, what I've observed um, for the students that we work with and their families is a real um, a strong sense of gratitude for that continued support. It's really obvious, I think, that there are many, many parents across the country who have an understanding of the importance of continuity for their children and that, that continued connection with people who are making a big difference to them. So um, in terms of the, the change uptake, we... We all of our families that we immediately work with have um, have responded incredibly positively to the fact that uh, we can deliver education online and and uh, conversations with friends who don't have children in support services but obviously have children who are doing something similar with their classroom teacher. I have to say the uptake has been incredible, and I think that it's something that will bring people closer together. And you see a lot of posts on social media about how much more appreciation parents have for the classroom teachers. I'm just laughing because I can recall one of an Irish guy in particular that just, oh gosh, I've, I've never giggled so much as watching this dad going on about wanting to suspend his own child and um, profusely apologising to all of his classroom teachers. So, yeah, on the whole, I think the uptake's been amazing and um, there's a, there seems to be a really positive vibe about education online and, and the possibilities that stem from being able to have another mode to learning. What are the key concerns that you're anticipating or perhaps even planning for? One of the things that springs to mind for me, both as a, um, I guess you'd say, as a as a business operator and as a leader who's supporting a, um, a group of professionals through this, as well as with my parenting hat on, I think that the most important thing, Dan, is that right from the outset, we actually be we set ourselves up so we can be proactive as parents and teachers and professionals as opposed to being reactive when, dare I say, the shit hits the fan. And I think one of the things that's important is for us to understand that the need to set out from the outset realistic expectations around how are we using any time for educating our children going forward across this next four, six, eight, twelve, however many weeks it is that we're in this lockdown period? So I think that's the biggest thing is that as parents and as educators, we're realistic because, you know, I've seen everybody seems, you know, in, in many respects goes out with a hiss and a roar. And I see kids being so motivated and they set up the individual learning spaces and you know, my own my own two teenage boys at home here are the same. They're very dedicated at the moment, but I anticipate that in three weeks' time that picture might look somewhat different. So I think that it's really important that we have realistic expectations. And further to that, I also think it's important that we don't push too hard, you know, that we have a balance of downtime. 
um, and that we ensure we're not in school anymore. We're not at work all day. We need to have a balance of time in between our contact time, be it an online remote education session, be it an online connection with our classroom teach children's classroom teachers, what we do in between those connections in terms of getting outside and going for a, a walk, going for a bike ride, playing a fun game. And I want to say being outside for kids as much as possible is just as important as what goes on when we're in that sort of academic mode so having the balance and setting uh, realistic expectations are probably my two biggest recommendations around that children at home studying and being taught by their parents they are a range of different ages and you know a five-year-old educating them is going to be different to educating a 15-year-old do you have any tips for different age groups are there um Anything in particular that you can, you know, tell parents to do now and that will take the edge off as they continue on in the coming days and weeks? I think one of the big things there, Dan, is that routines rule. Uh, every There is no child on this planet who does not function well with routine in place. So if we were able to couple what I previously said around realistic time expectations and realistic kind of expectations on the whole with the understanding that it is important to have a routine from Monday to Friday for whatever home learning that you're going to do is really, really, really important. Um doesn't mean you're going to fill the whole day with with learning activities um, and, and academic activities, but whatever age group, I think that's where there is one strong similarity between five-year-olds and 15-year-olds. Having a structure and a routine is incredibly important. It's not only important for the children, it's really important for the parents as well because um for many parents, they won't have been in the situation of educating their children before. So, you know, we all work well from having that sort of sense of completion and being able to tick stuff off. So I'd, I'd, I'd really suggest that whatever age parents are working with, that they do develop a routine of some sort so that they can just get into the flow of doing that. The second thing that um, I'd like to add in is, you know, back to your question around what might be different from working with a five-year-old to working with a 15-year-old is to mix up the way that you are um, educating your children. So, for example, you know, the attention span of a five-year-old compared to a 15-year-old is clearly really different. And uh, Nathan McKay Wallace would be really encouraging us at the moment to not be focusing with our really young children on pushing academic stuff down their throats, but more so to be helping them to be comfortable to be at home in what's a really sort of unusual circumstance and to be teaching them more so through structured play-based activities like baking and um, sitting down and actually learning how to strategically complete a, um, uh, sorry, complete a puzzle by getting all your four corners first. You know, all the little bits that as busy parents we may not have had time to teach before, 
we can actually stop now and say, so when you do this, create this Lego, what's the first thing you might do? And then the next thing. So with it, with our more our younger children mixing up the mediums that we teach through, having lots of hands-on um, teaching and learning opportunities and being mindful of how long we're expecting those children to sit to a task. Um, I think that's really important. And to be fair, that's probably not too dissimilar for our older students as well. But uh, in my own experience with my own teenage children is they do sit for a lot longer. They are able to be a lot more independent and they too are really task orientated. So, you know, on the flip side, at that teenage um, age group, one of the challenges that I see two days in is that one of them needs to get outside a little bit more and um, be a little bit more active than what he's being doing as schoolwork and then wanting to sit on a PlayStation. So I, I think it's about knowing your children best and how are you building a routine that includes mixed medium, you know, some stuff through the computer, some stuff where they're writing in a book, some colouring in, some baking, uh, mixing it up so that it's engaging and interesting, uh, keeping that routine and then all the while, you know, really being sure to have lots of physical sensory involvement and, and some physical activity. We all know how important physical activity is for our brain and also for our mental well-being. So just kind of mixing it up really I think is going to be really important. Thanks Carla and for more information the Learning Matters website and Facebook page provides updates and support. The final area of highlighting is the critical context. The main symptoms of COVID-19 are a dry cough, fever and breathlessness. If you're exhibiting these, please call Houseline at 0800 358 5453. If you're struggling with accessing groceries, medication or other goods, please contact the Waikato Civil Defence and Emergency Management Group 0800 800 405. Waipa District Council is still operating, though with limited services. You can email them at info at yprdc.govt.nz or 0800-924-723. And if you or someone is in immediate danger, call 111. That wraps up the locals. All those contacts and more are on the Dan Armstrong Waipakin Country Facebook page. The show and others will be on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And for more amazing shows, check out freefm.org.nz. I'll leave you on that note, but until next time, thanks for listening. Cheers, inohora. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/slash Free FM eighty nine to find out more.